Hello, Grace. How we doing? Guys doing good today? Well, all right. Well, hey, my name's uh, Mike Silliman. I'm the Karen Connections pastor here at Grace, and I have an opportunity to, to share with you this morning, and I'm excited to be able to continue our, our series. We're in this series called Sensational Love. It's spelled with a, an I, sensational, uh, because, you know, sin has affected every area of our life. Uh, and because of sin and because of the pervasiveness of it, and because uh, the enemy uses, um, you know, his amazing, incredible schemes to convince us uh, that uh, there is a love that we need to buy into, uh, it, it trips us up and it causes us to uh, focus on a, on a love that in the end gives us no fulfillment whatsoever, uh, matter of fact, it, it, it's, a, it's a love, it, it presents itself as a love that's, that's going to give us joy and peace and satisfaction, uh, prevent, presents us uh, like it's going to give us everything that we would ever need, uh, but, but in the end, it leads to, it leads to death, and, and that's why we're calling it sensational love. Next week, we're going to talk about sensational love and, and uh, the reality of what Jesus rising from the dead. Uh, does in our lives, uh, and it reverses the curse of of, uh, of what the enemy has has done uh, through through sin. Last week, Pastor Jim kicked off the series, and uh, he challenged us to evaluate the areas of our lives where we've allowed our love for the things of the world to crowd out our love for God. And last week we looked at this passage, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read it uh, to you just uh, so you can be reminded. Uh, it says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, uh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And these three things, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life represent every temptation that you and I will ever be tempted with. Uh, these are the same three temptations that the enemy used in the garden with our first Adam uh, that caused him to, to sin. Uh, these are the same temptations, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life uh, that Jesus was tempted with uh, in, in, in the desert uh, heading into his public ministry. And so the enemy never changes his strategy, always uses the same strategy. And so uh, you and I will be faced with these three temptations, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Last week, Pastor Jim unpacked uh, the first two. Today, we're going to unpack the pride of life. And when I say uh, that we're going to be talking about pride, I'm not talking about the kind of pride that we have towards our kids you know, um, towards our, our son or daughter, niece or nephew, and, you know, they hit a home run and, and you know, in baseball or, or do, do a good job on their homework. I'm not talking about the kind of pride uh, that we have when um, we set our mind to a goal and we accomplish it, you know, that sense of a, accomplishment that we have when we, when we meet our goals, and, and um, that's not what we're going to talk about today. Those things are, are very life-giving. Um, the pride that I'm going to talk about today is uh, not a, a pride that inspires you. It actually holds you down. It holds you back. It shrivels you up, and it sucks the life out of you. 
And uh, pride, and, and, and you already know this, but it bears repeating, pride will keep you from celebrating success in other people. Pride keeps you from doing that. It, it doesn't allow you to celebrate when somebody uh, has a success around you. Um, it also keeps you from apologizing to someone that you hurt. Pride also keeps you from initiating reconciliation when you were wronged by someone else. Pride keeps you from saying, okay, even though the other person wronged me, I'm going to be the one to initiate the reconciliation in this relationship. Pride keeps you from doing that. Pride keeps you from admitting that you were wrong. Pride keeps you from admitting that you need help. Pride keeps you from admitting you don't know what you are doing in a situation. Uh, Pride causes you to think that you are irreplaceable in your job. Right now, some of you think that, you know, I'm irreplaceable. Nobody could do what, what I do. Nobody can do it better than you. Pride causes you from, uh, or keeps you rather from being honest with yourself. It also keeps you from being honest with, with others. It causes you, check this out, to feel good when other people fail. Pride causes that. It causes you to kind of like give one of these, you know, when, when, when somebody fails. Um, uh, pride greatly diminishes your capacity to love people and uh, to be loved by people. Simply put, pride kills. And here's the thing about pride. Pride can so easily be seen in other people. Pride can be seen in, in other people so easily. It's so obvious when we look at people that have pride in their lives. But, but here's, here's the reality. Pride is almost impossible to see in our own lives. It's almost impossible to see in our, in our own lives. So today, uh, we're going to drill down on pride. We're going to look at a story uh, in the Old Testament about a king um, who, quite honestly, this king uh, could have been one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel. He, he uh, as you're going to see, accomplished incredible things for his, his nation and um, the, the first part of his, uh, you know, kingship, he yielded his life to the Lord. And the result of that was God blessed his life. But towards the end of his, his life, he fell into pride. Now, just to give you a little bit of history where we're going here today, the nation of Israel at one time had uh, a unified country uh, with one king um, serving the whole country. But because of pride... Uh, After three kings, uh, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom went by uh, the name Israel, uh, and that was made up of 10 tribes, of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, two of the tribes uh, formed the the southern kingdom, which went by the name of Judah, just to give you a little bit of history. And um, the kings in the northern kingdom, all of them were evil uh, and uh, eventually God judged uh, the northern kingdom, and uh, they were kind of absorbed and conquered by co- uh, surrounding nations. Uh, the southern kingdom of Judah 
which was made up of two tribes, the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah, uh, they had a combination of some good kings and some not so good kings, okay? And at different times in Israel's history, the two kingdoms were at war with one another. Um, they were always at war with nations around them. And we're gonna look at a time in history where, where because of the king's obedience and because of, uh, of the king's leadership and in leading his people well, uh, the nation actually did pretty well. Um, God blessed that. And, uh, and so we're going to look at, at this king's name's King Uzziah. Turn in your Bibles. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Second Chronicles chapter 26. Second Chronicles chapter 26. And if you're here today, you don't have a Bible with you, raise your hand. You're going to want this thing. You're going to want to follow along. So raise your hand. The ushers have a Bible they would love to put in your hands today. And take this home with you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for it to be uh, a gift to you from, from our church. Second Chronicles chapter 26. And when you find that, uh, go ahead and stand up to your feet and we're going to read Second Chronicles 26. We're going to read the first five verses uh, out loud together. Second Chronicles chapter 26, beginning at verse 1. It says this, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Eloth and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Before you sit, let's read the second part of that last verse together, the last sentence there. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. You may have a seat. So verse 5 says that Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. This word sought, uh, the Hebrew word is a, is a great word. It literally means to trample underfoot. And it's this picture of, you know, when you walk the same path in your lawn over and over and over, you wear a path in, in the grass, right? And I love looking across the street um, in, our, in our neighborhood. There's a, a mother and a father that live in a house and they do a great job of taking care of, of their, their yard. And, uh, but next to them is uh, their daughter and her family that lives right next to them. And I love, because when I look over to their house, in between the mom and dad's house and the kid's house, uh, in this beautiful yard, both of them have just wonderful yards, there is a path that is worn down in between the two houses. And it warms my heart because it's a picture of two families that actually want to be together. You know, like they, they, they want to do life together and it's obvious that they go back and forth. The grandkids go back and forth to grandma's house and, and, and the families just are kind of always back and forth at each other's homes. And, uh, and, and, and it says here in verse five that, that uh, Uzziah sought God. And so what that means is that he carved a path to God. That's what he did. He wore a path 
to God by, by seeking after uh, what God wanted him to do. And so uh, God, uh, the Bible says here, Scripture says that, that God used a man named Zechariah. This is uh, not Zechariah that has a book after his name. He came a little bit later. But this is a different Zechariah, and he was a prophet that God used. See, at this time in history, um, the Bible wasn't completed yet. They, uh, they probably had the first five books of the Bible, maybe a couple of other books in the Old Testament. And, uh, and God spoke his words through prophets during the, this time. Prophets were, were God's mouthpiece. And, and God used this man, Zechariah, uh, in, a, in a pretty powerful way in King Uzziah's life. And King Uzziah was open to hearing from Zechariah and hearing what God wanted for him. And it was very obvious that we're going to read here in a little bit that God blessed him as a result of that. And, and, um, uh, so King Uzziah, he was just diligent and, and day after day, okay, this is what I think I should do to lead. You know, he's 16 years old. So obviously, uh, he has a lot to learn and, um, he needs a lot of wisdom. And so he's relying on the Lord for, for, for that wisdom. And, uh, the second part of verse five, check it out. It says, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him what? What's it say? God gave him, help me out. God gave him success. And, and here's what we need to understand here this morning. This is a really big idea for all of us this morning. God gives success to those that wear a path to him. God gives success to those that get their marching orders from God, to those that, that have worn a path uh, to him, seeking God's wisdom uh, for direction in, in, in their life. And it's important to note that the success here that God gives us looks very different than the success that the world offers to give us. See, the world offers, uh, and the world's definition of success is very different, right? It's, it's usually control. It's usually power. It's usually stuff, a lot of stuff. That's success, right? If, if you say, oh, he's successful, what we generally mean when we say that is he's done well with his life and, and he's got a lot of money. Uh, that's usually what we mean. That's the world's definition of, of success. And, and God's definition of success is very, is very different. God's definition of success is, is this, this blessed life as a result of being obedient to him as a result of wearing a path to God, that we're, we're going to God so much, seeking his wisdom, seeking what his word says to us, uh, that God grants us a, a blessed life, a life of, of, of favor. It's, it's true contentment. It's the ability to handle life's problems without being overcome by them. And, and you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are going through some really, really heavy stuff and um, you would say that, man, if it wasn't for the grace of God and his grace towards me, I wouldn't be able to, to handle what life's throwing at me right now. But that's success from the Lord. He gives us this ability to handle life's problems without being overcome by them. Success in God's eyes is, is amazing peace that sees us through all circumstances of life. It's, it's wisdom to know what to do. It's knowledge. It's constant direction in our lives. It's love for others. It's acceptance of ourselves. It's joy uh, no matter what. And at the end of the life, it's an eternity with the God who freely gives us all these things. That's success, amen? That's success. And if the Lord happens 
Not always, he, he doesn't always do this, but if he happens to bless us with some material blessing in our lives uh, and extra influence in our lives, it's not so that we can leverage that for our own selves. It's not so that we can leverage that for our own kingdom that we've set up for ourselves. It's, it's for his glory and it's for his kingdom and it's for his honor that he would bless us and he would bless us with material things in, in our life. And King Uzziah was seeing this level of success in his life because he wore a path to God. He wore a path to God. Look at, look at verse 6. We're just going to kind of fly through a, a bunch of verses here that talk about the success that God gave uh, King Uzziah as a result of, of him wearing a path to God. Take a look at verse 6. He went to war against the Philistines, broke down the walls of Gath, uh, Jabne and Ashdod. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Ger, Baal, and against the Meunites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his what? His what? His fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness, dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working in his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their number, mustered by Jael, the secretary, and uh, Messiah, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600 under their command, was an army of over 300,000 men, trained for war, powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Uzziah provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows, sling stones for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became what? Powerful. So here's the picture. Uh, The headlines are all saying, you know, uh, Judah... The southern kingdom is is booming. The economy is booming. The army is strong and and uh, and and well staffed, and they have incredible weapons, modern day weapons that they were able to invent that was beyond anything that any of the surrounding nations had. They they were seeing just this 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 time of success in 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 their nation. Uh, the approval rating was off the charts. Everybody loved King Uzziah. Um, the jobs report was, was booming. And, um, and, you know, he got very powerful. People were talking about uh, the nation, uh, you know, from, from all over as far as, as Egypt. And he became very famous and very powerful. And everybody loved it. But look at verse 16. It says, but... After Uzziah became, what? Powerful, his what? His pride led to his downfall. His pride led to his downfall. See, there came a time 
in King Uzziah's life where he stopped wearing a path to God. And I'm sure it didn't happen overnight. You know, I'm sure little by little, you know, lesser and lesser, he, he stopped going to, to see those that God placed in his life to speak wisdom and to speak the word of God into his life. Less frequently and less frequently, uh, you know, did he seek God for direction. Uh, he started to read the headlines and he started to believe what people were saying about him. And I'm sure he read some headlines that, you know, said Uzziah, King Uzziah is, is awesome. And he started to believe, wow, yeah, I actually am pretty, pretty awesome. I am pretty incredible. And he started to believe that all of this success that he was able to see came in his own hands, not, not because uh, he was living a life in obedience to, to God. See, pride convinces us to believe that we are the reason for our success and that we are the center of our own universe. Look at the next part of verse 16. It says that he was, he was what? He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. And look at what he does. He, he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, that might sound actually pretty good, like he's doing a good thing here. The only problem is, is that the law of Moses restricted this practice of lighting the incense to, it was a priestly duty, and only those who were consecrated, set aside as priests of God, could enter the temple and, and do these priestly duties. And so what makes King Uzziah think that he had the authority to go into the temple and, and light, the, light the incense. Pride. Pride did. Pride did that. You know, no doubt there was this thinking, you know, I'm above the law. Like, I'm the king. Uh, matter of fact, if you look around to all the success that we're seeing uh, in, in our nation, it's a result of, of my hands. It's a result of my leadership. It's a result of my ingenuity. You know those, uh, those, those weapons that, you know, I invented that were on the corners of our, our wall up there that sling stones? Nobody else has that. Guess what? I invented that. And so I have the authority, and I'm going to take it upon myself to come and do whatever I please. I'm even going to come into the temple, and I'm going to light the incense because the law doesn't apply to me. I'm above the law. It's interesting to me that Uzziah is in the temple of God, yet his heart is so far from God. He's, he's in the temple, like he's in the right place. And, you know, as followers of Christ, uh, we know that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in you and me. For those of, of you that have accepted the gift of salvation, and uh, God's grace through faith. Uh, scripture tells us that uh, the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. That our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But here's the deal. Just like Uzziah was in the temple of God, but so far from God, many of us here today, I'm convinced, have the Holy Spirit residing in us, but we're very far from God. We're very far 
from God. See, as Christians, the spirit of God is in us, but pride, pride blocks the spirit from, from flowing through us, from flowing through us. And, and we can be doing Christian activity all day long. We can, we can sing all the songs that we want. We can serve in, in Kid City. We can serve on the parking team. We can stuff eggs for, for Easter. And we can do all of that stuff. The scripture says that if we do it without love, that we're just a resounding symbol. Like we're just making a bunch of noise. We're just wearing ourselves out. We're just doing a bunch of activity. Pride blocks the spirit of God from flowing in us and through us. Here's what the prideful heart believes. The prideful heart believes that, you know, my opinion is better than your opinion. Matter of fact, my pride, pride says that you shouldn't even have an opinion. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll let you share it, but my opinion is better. I'm just telling you right now. That's pride, right? That's pride. Uh, pride says I'm right. Pride says I'm self-made. Pride says I'm worthy of honor. Pride says, I don't deserve this. Pride says, I do deserve this. I deserve better. Pride says, I don't need anyone, including God, to help me. Now, we would never say that. But that's what pride says, loud and clear. That's what pride says. Uh, Turn to Psalm chapter 10, verse 4. Keep your finger there in 2 Chronicles. Turn to Psalm chapter 10, verse 4. And look at that, look at what it says. Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, it says this. It says, it says, in his pride, the wicked man does not, what? Seek him. He does not wear a path to God. That's what seek means. The, the wicked man does not wear a path to God. In all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. There's there's no room for God. In other words, pride crowds out God from our lives. It leaves no room for him at all uh, to work in us. And um, our thoughts aren't even thinking about what God might want us to do in, in in a situation. Our thoughts, the last thing on our mind is, hey, let me consult God's word to see what God says about this. Because in our pride, there's no room for God in in our thoughts. That's what pride uh, does to us. Turn back to 2 Chronicles and let's look at verse 17 and let's look at what happens next. 2 Chronicles 26 verse 17 says, Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed King Uzziah in the temple. And what did they do? Verse 18 says that they what? Help me out. What did they do? They confronted King Uzziah. Now, that is courageous because you just don't do that to the king. You, you don't confront the king. And, and so now there's, there's 80 priests that mustered up the courage to, to go to King Uzziah, to confront him in hopes that he would, he would see that what he's doing is wrong, that what he see, that, that, that he would see that he, he's filled with pride and that he would turn and he would repent. So they confronted King Uzziah and said, it's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Now, 
This is Uzziah's moment. Imagine all of these 80 priests that had the courage to kind of confront the king. And they, they tell him the news and they speak truth into his life. And all 80 of them, if, if we could be there, I would imagine them just like, okay, Uzziah, please do the right thing. Please do the right thing. Please do the right thing. And look what, look what happens. Verse 19, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, what happened? He became what? He became angry. Listen, when, when 80 people are all coming to you and telling you the same thing, they may be right. I'm just saying, okay? They may, they, they may be on to something and you maybe should, should listen to them. But see, that's, that's what pride does. Everybody else around a, a person with pride sees that person with pride except the person with pride. That's what pride does. That's what pride does. And listen, for some of you, you're here today, and I'm telling you, um, you know, people have been trying to speak into your life. They've been trying to speak truth into your life. They've been trying to tell you that you're going down the wrong path. They've been trying to tell you God's truth. They've been trying to point you to the truth of God. And you refuse to listen to them. You just absolutely refuse. You, you believe in your mind. Pride has so clouded your thoughts and have, has clouded your mind that you actually believe that they're the ones with the problem. It's not you. And the reason I, I know that, the reason I know that is, is because of the emotion uh, that comes out of you when someone tries to confront you with the truth. It's anger. It's bitterness, it's rage, it's resentment. Sometimes it's sorrow. Sometimes it's often it's walls that you build up and you don't let anybody in and you continue to believe that you are right and the other person's wrong. Some of you in here, your marriage is, is, is being destroyed by pride and you refuse to just say these words. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? For some of you, your pride is, is in that somebody is telling you, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? And your pride doesn't allow you to say, yes, I forgive you. For some of you in here today, you know, your family and those around you that have been pouring into you, loving you uh, through your addiction, have been trying to get your attention to see your pride and you refuse to admit that you have a problem. And you lash out in anger and you leave and you run away and you go in onto a three-day, you know, binge somewhere and you don't tell anybody where you're at. And that's, that's, how, you're, that's, that's how you're handling the issue. It's through emotion because pride controls us through our emotion. That's what it does. It controls us through our emotion. It takes over our feelings and whenever we believe that the lies that we've set up in our, in our, in our prideful heart as truth, whenever any, anybody bumps up against that and challenges that, the result is emotion that comes out. Oftentimes it's anger, but, you know, there's, there's other emotions um, based on who we are and our personalities that, that come out. And so for King Uzziah, it was, it was, it was anger. It was anger. 
Look at uh, the second part of verse 19. It says, while he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. It wasn't until the Lord afflicted him, disciplined him, that he was willing then to say, oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't be in here. Isn't that interesting? And for for some of you, that's what it's going to take. Like it's going to take God, unfortunately, it's going to take God to to level some serious discipline in your life for you to be able to see the pride that's that's so hard and so built up and so thick in your life. And I, I pray, I pray to God that you see your pride, that even today your pride is softened through the the power of the Holy Spirit, that that you're able to see your pride and you're able to repent of it before God decides to discipline you more severely. And he disciplines us because he loves us, because he wants relationship with us. He wants your marriage to be amazing. He wants your, your life to bear the fruit that, you know, that he died for to give you. And your pride isn't allowing any fruit to bear in your life. See, unrepented pride leads to God's discipline. It does. God's not going to share his glory with a prideful person. Uh, God hates pride. Scripture says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The final comment on Uzziah's life was he had leprosy. What a legacy, right? He had leprosy. And it might as well said he had pride. Because that's what it was. The saddest commentary is when we see a person that's one decision away from making the right choice and they still choose the wrong one. That's the saddest commentary that we can see in a person. And see, an invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to leave our pride behind. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 for a minute. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at a couple of verses. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. And I want to to look at the invitation that Jesus gives us to leave our pride behind. It says this in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in, what's the big word? Say it again. Say it again. Humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the what? Of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He what? Humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus initiated reconciliation. Now, check this out in case you missed it. He was 100% right. He was 0% wrong. And he still initiated reconciliation. He humbled himself, being obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's radical humility. That's radical humility. And listen, radical humility breaks the power of pride in our lives. It does. Radical humility through Jesus breaks the power of pride in our lives. It swims upstream against the flow of the world. And that's the kind of humility that we're called to have as followers of Jesus. I love this quote. I think we're going to have it up on the screen here. C.S. Lewis said this. Check this quote out. It says that Jesus came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has by what I call good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. So God sets the example, Jesus sets the example by being obedient to death, even death on the cross. And you won't say, I'm sorry. You you won't say, you won't initiate reconciliation in your relationship because it wasn't your fault or it was only 5% your fault or it was only 10% your fault. See, we're called to be little Christ's. And, and as Christians, guys, we have, we have no excuse. We have no excuse. Earlier in the service, we sang songs today that affirm a relationship based on radical humility. Now think about that. We sang songs affirming our relationship that we have with Jesus and God the Father through radical humility. We're about to sing another song. We're going to close our service out today, and we're going to affirm the radical humility in Jesus. We are little Christs. That's who we are. We're supposed to, we're supposed to love like, like Jesus. We're supposed to exercise radical humility. Uh, some of you are in small groups, and you'll see in the small group questions in your bulletin today, one of the things I'm going to ask you to do, and you can do this with your family as well, is to come up with a couple of ways, brainstorm a couple of ways this week that together as a group or a family, um, that, that you exercise radical humility. I'm talking the kind of humility that the world looks and says, what in the world are you doing? That's not what you're supposed to do. That's the kind of humility that Jesus calls us to. And if we o- want to overcome the power of pride in our life, we have, to be, we have to get used to exercising radical humility. So I have a question for you today as we wrap things up today. How, how much longer... How much longer do you plan to let pride have control of your life? How much longer? Isn't it time to let it go? Isn't it time to allow God to do something in you? Isn't it time to repent of our pride? You know, maybe today's the day that you admit you have an addiction. Today's the day, man, I have an addiction. You say those words, I have an addiction. 
I need help. Maybe that for you, that's radical humility in your life. Maybe today is the day that you initiate reconciliation in your marriage, even though you weren't the large part of the problem. It wasn't your fault. But you're going to, you're, you're going to say, I, I want to exercise radical humility, and I'm going to do that by, by, by initiating reconciliation in my marriage. Maybe today's the day that you just simply admit you're wrong. <laughs> Next time you do something wrong, you're going to say, wow, you know what? Man, I was, I was wrong. You just admit it. Maybe the, today's the day that you admit you need help. I'm going to pray, and man, this is a great opportunity for you to do business with God. The response to our pride should be repentance. And by the way, if you're here today and you say, well, I don't struggle with pride, uh, that might be a clue that you have a pride problem in your life. And so, you know, on a service like this, a message like this, and trust me, I've been preaching this message to myself all week. This, this message was for, for me. Like, this is something we all struggle with. And this is a great opportunity for you to exercise humility, incredible radical humility. You know? and, and maybe that looks for you. Maybe you just come up front and, you know, kneel here. Maybe you do business right there in your seat and, and you ask God to change your heart and you repent of your humility and you start creating an action plan to combat humility. And we continue to wear a path to God because that's what's going to lead to success. And here's the deal, you know, when you wear a path to God, the first time you walk across the grass, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, create a path in the grass. It, it takes the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. But it, it starts, and the path can't be started unless you start it today. Like, so, so start today. Start wearing a path to God. Lord, we, uh, we need you. Lord, I need you. Um, pride is so pervasive. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in hearts in this room here today. Uh, in a room this size, uh, there's lots of people dealing with lots of issues from addiction to um, marriage struggles. Um, Lord, and we, we need you. And God, we're thankful that your work on the cross, your radical humility that you demonstrated on the cross, it frees us. We don't have to live in pride any longer. You've killed it. You nailed it to the cross. So why in the world, God, would we ever choose to pick it back up? So God, we confess today we long and desire for you to shape our lives. We repent of our, our pride in our lives. And we ask that you would renew us. Um, Lord, help us as we wear a path to you. We want to seek you because we know only then we will see success. Success the way you defined it. And that's the only success worth living. So Lord, we give you our lives today. Move in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.